This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The conversation around Washington, D.C. the last few weeks has been around health care and the potential of tax reform. Neither of those elements have played out for the moment, but there are a couple of other big issues on the table as well. They are, of course, the budget for the next fiscal year and the potential of hitting the debt limit and maybe potentially possibly having a federal government shutdown temporarily. To take a look at those pieces of the story, we welcome into studio Mark Meredith, Assistant Professor of Political Science here at the University of Pennsylvania, and joining us on the phone, Harry Stein, who's Director of Fiscal Policy at the Center for American Progress, as well as Neil Buchanan, who's a law professor at George Washington University. Mark, great to see you again. Thanks yeah, for coming great in. Great to be here. Thank you. Harry, Neil, great to have you joining us as well. Thank you. So I, I guess with, with the way things have been going, Harry, uh, with all that we have seen play out in the last uh, in the last few weeks, uh, is it any surprise that seemingly we're going to be going down to the wire on on, uh, on the budget issues? Unfortunately, it's not. And, and this, this kind of brinksmanship actually started even before Trump under the Obama administration, where the Republican Congress would take us to the brink on the debt limit on, on spending bills. And, you know, we did shut down the government um, in 2013. And the really sad thing is basically no progress has been made over the course of the year. All of this time has been wasted. The, um, the Congress has been moving spending bills that have no chance of becoming law because they're not even trying to make these bills bipartisan. And you have to have bipartisan spending bills in the Senate because those bills require 60 votes. And on the debt limit, there's really been very little talk about what they're actually going to do to raise the debt limit. The, the White House has sent out mixed signals with the Treasury Secretary saying that they need to do it, and then the budget director saying, actually, you should insist on some sort of concessions. And, and the Republican leadership in Congress, um, the majority in Congress, has, has been similarly divided. So we're coming up to the brink, and there, there really isn't a plan yet. Neil? Yeah, it, it, it is uh, a problem going back to 2011. Um, I mean, the important thing to understand is that there's a huge difference between a shutdown and a debt limit default, right? Yep. I mean, yep. you, you, if, if you don't pass a budget, right, if you, if you don't pass spending bills by uh, October 1st, then you have, you know, what, what amounts to a partial shutdown, right? But, yep. you know, we've been through that before. It's painful. It's annoying. It's difficult. It's a, a sign of dysfunction. But it's not a ca- catastrophe. But if you don't raise the debt ceiling and, uh, before the, the drop-dead date, then you're in completely uncharted, ter- uncharted territory because uh, the president is left in a situation, it doesn't matter who the president is, is left in a situation where he has to execute the spending bills that Congress has already passed, which means paying bills that we've already incurred. And simultaneously, the Congress has said, but you're not allowed to borrow more money than the, the, the amount of money that you need to borrow. Right. And that's a real crisis. That's something we've never faced before. I mean, we've come close a couple of times because of the Tea Party under Obama. But, uh, um, you know, that's the, the, the real worry right now and, and always has been. Mark? I'm a, little, I'm a little surprised that they didn't take the debt ceiling off the table uh, already. And, and, and I wonder if they had known how full the calendar was going to be for September and how jam-packed it was if maybe they would have preferred to take this specific issue off the table. Because once once you're dealing with all these issues simultaneously, yeah. it could create a lot of <laughs> confusion. It, it could. It could, yeah. And so uh, 
I wonder in retrospect if they had known the healthcare may even still be on the table right. when they come back, if they would have preferred just to maybe remove it this time around and, and, and deal with this later. Well, Neil, I guess the the question is how 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 do you try and deal with all of these different issues? I mean, it truly is going to be a juggling act that we are going to see in in Washington C, Washington D.C. Uh, over the next uh, six to eight weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, given what I've just said, it's probably not a surprise that I would say the first thing you have to deal with is the debt ceiling, right? Because if they, if, if, if they don't deal with that, then you're in uncharted territory. If you do deal with that and you end up with a shutdown, again, that's bad but survivable, right? So, you know, and, and, and the weird thing about the debt ceiling negotiation right now, it was weird enough under Obama with the Republicans running Congress because there – the Republicans acted like somehow Obama wanted the debt ceiling to go up as a policy matter. Right. Whereas, in fact, all, you know, he, he was just saying, I, in order to do my job that you told me to do, um, you have to raise the debt ceiling. But the Republicans acted like this was an opportunity for a second bite at the apple and, you know, getting more concessions. So now Mick Mulvaney is the, the budget director, and he's saying, oh, this is an opportunity to get more, to get more concessions. But more concessions right. from whom? Right. I mean, these are Republicans negotiating against Republicans. It's not like the Democrats are standing in their way. It's very strange. Harry, I think that's absolutely right. It's it's almost as if I think they're still stuck in this this view, this view pre Trump where they saw themselves as not really having any responsibility for governing. And I would note that was wrong then too. Republicans did control Congress. Yeah. They they were they were part of of the governing party. Yeah. They were a governing party. It's especially bizarre now, and and I think that, that that's absolutely right. They seem to be basically. I mean, there's there's been criticism all over the place on on, on many issues about Republicans and their ability to govern. Right. But they seem in in the case of the debt limit to not even recognize that they're supposed to be governing. Well, I guess, Harry, let's step back for a second and, and take us through like the ABCs of the debt ceiling for those people that really don't understand the guts of, of what we're talking about here and what the process is in terms of, of raising it and, and where this potentially affects the government and the economy the most. Sure. So as was said, the, the debt ceiling is not about deciding how much to, to spend and how much to tax. Those decisions already get made in, in separate legislation that the Congress has already passed. Essentially, the debt ceiling is sort of like getting the credit card bill. So you've made these decisions. Those have consequences for the debt. And now you have to raise the debt ceiling in order to, to accommodate the laws that you've already passed. So generally, it's, some, it's not usually something, it's, it's not a thing that one party or another party wins or loses. It's right. just a basic function of, of keeping keeping the wheels turning um, usually it's it's done without this much um, this much drama although you know in, in recent years that's that's changed um, and I think there's been a lot of talk you know I think if this sounds like kind of a bizarre process why would you have these make these decisions and then leave it up in the air whether you're actually going to pay the bills right um, you're right it is a bizarre process and I think, frankly, it's, it's a process that, that's outlived its, its usefulness if it ever had any. Um, and there's actually a lot of talk in, in Washington now and elsewhere about, you know, maybe we should just repeal the debt limit or at least change it so it's not some change the process so it's not something that one party can take hostage. I'd certainly like to see that. And, and I think you're seeing a kind of growing support for that actually on both sides of the aisle. Mark? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, Obama had this interesting tension when he was in the office that you know he was pushing for the debt ceiling to be raised, but when he was, in, you know, in the Senate in, in two thousand seven or two thousand eight, I can't remember which, he voted against he voted yeah. against raising it one time, and the out party always has has this incentive <laughs> to try to make life hard on on the in party, and so I do think we may have an opportunity right now where, in some ways, this is this is a tool that's more useful for the Republicans than for the Democrats because it can only you know if you think the Republicans more often want to cut budgets than Dem- than the Democrats, and so. I wonder if we have an opportunity where we could see some some Democrats uh, joining on a, a bill, but that one that might, if if it not permanently get rid of this, take this off the table for mm-hmm. a while, because I think um, it is something where in the long run, Democrat Democrats probably gain more from it going away than Republicans. But right, right. now, Republicans kind of want out of this problem, and then there could be some gains gains from trade there. But, Neil, I have, this is a situation right now where, as uh, both uh, gentlemen have said, it, it, we're in a, it's almost a no-win situation for either party right now. And if we have some sort of, you know, repercussion, uh, you know, either short-term or longer-term, this is going to be just more fodder, which I mentioned with Mark before we went on the air, it, we see too many instances of government not functioning the way that it probably should. And it's one of the main reasons why so many people are so frustrated with government in general these days. Yeah, and, and what's especially strange about this is that, that Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, actually came, uh, he, he contradicted himself, which of course he does all the time, but he did it in a sort of big way over the years of the debt ceiling crises because at one point um, in response to Obama's suggestion that maybe we just not have a debt ceiling, which is, you know, as, as others have said, the most sensible thing to do, right. um, uh, McConnell says, oh, the president wants to allow the debt to go up, you know, literally without, uh, without limit. Right, right. And, and then at the same time, the way McConnell solved several of the, the uh, you know, right up to the, to the abyss kind of moments was by suspending the debt ceiling, right? I mean, when we came out of, out of the, the, the most recent suspension, I think it was March 15th of this year, it was a McConnell special. They, they had a law that said, okay, the debt ceiling is now off, and it'll come back on March 15th, 2017, and it'll automatically reset um, at whatever the debt is that day, right? Now, in the meantime, the debt didn't go up literally without limit. It went up by exactly the amount of the difference between the spending and the taxing, which is what what, what would happen anyway. So the 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 public disgust, right, is compounded by the fact that you know everybody's saying, wait a minute. So McConnell says that the debt ceiling is absolutely essential to to prevent us from financial ruin, but at the same time he can get rid of it whenever he wants to, and then everybody can pretend that they didn't really vote to raise the debt ceiling. I mean, if that's not a a recipe for for public disgust, I don't know what is. Harry? No, I I think that's absolutely right. And this whole conversation, I I think, sort of presupposes that, that you know that we're, we're that, that that we've kind of walked ourselves into this this crisis, and it, but it, but it really the worst thing about the debt ceiling is it is it's a manufactured crisis. It's a right. crisis with the debt that that shouldn't exist and and wouldn't exist if not for the posturing and and, and political game playing of people like Mitch McConnell. I mean, keep in mind that this conversation is happening at a time where yes, the national debt is at higher relatively high levels as, as a share of the economy. At the same time, you look around the global economy and the U.S. economy, 
And there's no reason to think that that, that, that level of, of debt is, is creating is problematic as it is now. Sure, yeah. In fact, we're, we're borrowing money at extremely low interest rates. Treasury rates are, are at historically low levels. So this is not a country. It's not the, the federal fiscal system is is very strong. And the only reason that it wouldn't be strong in, in the short term is if the the Trump administration and, and Congress blow it up for no reason. We're talking with, uh, on the phone, Harry Stein, who's Director of Fiscal Policy at the Center for American Progress, Neil Buchanan, Law Professor at George Washington University, and in studio with Mark Meredith, who's Assistant Professor of Political Science here at the University of Pennsylvania. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or again, if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter, and we are more than welcome to bring it up on the show at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I, I guess I'll ask kind of the, the next, it would be the layman's question here. And, you know, the, the, the belief of the debt ceiling being, you know, the, the, the similar to a credit card debt, a lot of people would be saying like, okay, well, you know, this keeps going up and up and up. Why, why isn't seemingly enough being done to address this problem? Mark, it's a, it's a fair question that probably not enough Americans ask at this point. Well, no one, no one wants to do the types of things politically that would be necessary to actually fix the deficit, uh, and and so we end up doing these cosmetic type fixes. But we, you know, we have these deep structural issues with with the, with the deficit that right now, as, as Harry pointed out, aren't causing that many problems. Probably have to potentially cause more problems going forward. Yeah. Um, but the the political will of either side to, to deal with things like Medicare, Social Security. Uh, the, the things that actually are, are, are most relevant to, uh, to the deficit, there's just no political will to deal with that from, from either side right now. Harry? I, I, think, I think that that's fair. You know, when we think about the long-term fiscal challenge, it, it's basically a combination of, of demographics, the population aging, and then also health care costs potentially growing faster than, than the overall economy, which, which has been a con- concern for a while. Now, it's worth noting, though, in this conversation that the Affordable Care Act made enormous reforms in the delivery of health care that mm-hmm. were aimed at bringing down health care costs and, and actually appears to have been quite successful in that regard. I did some, some research on this looking at budget projections before and when Obama came into office and when he left. And the Medicare projections, including the long-term projections that are concerning from a, from a fiscal perspective, um, have fallen dramatically, huge decline. Now, people don't talk about it so much because it's sort of overshadowed in all of the other very important things that happened in healthcare, including in the ACA. But there's this untold story about the ACA being a major medical cost reform, a major fiscal reform in that regard. And with regard to demographics, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough choice where, where you're basically asking, you know, do you want to cut retirement benefits? Do you want to cut Social Security and, and, and Medicare and, and Medicaid? Or do we need to raise more revenue to support those programs? And, and fundamentally, though, that's that's a choice that that I think a, a lot of people, you know, don't don't really like either of those options. It is worth noting here that I think we're going to hear a lot of posturing from this administration and this Congress about deficits, and that the Trump budget claims to have all this deficit reduction in it. The congressional budget makes similar claims. Mm-hmm. It's worth noting that we are about to move into a tax reform conversation. That's the next big item on the on the agenda yep. it seems the big question is not, is how much money they're going to lose how much they will increase deficits yeah. with their tax reform with the best possible scenario being none 
being that they will not do anything to reduce deficits, which isn't good enough, but that's the best possible scenario. But the real conversation, how much are they going to increase deficits? How much are they going to weigh in tax cuts that, you know, frankly, mostly benefit the wealthy and corporations? So it's just worth keeping that in mind when we hear this posturing on the deficit that I'm sure we'll hear on the debt limit, because we always do, that the next question is, how much are we going to blow up deficits with those tax cuts? Neil? Yeah, I guess I have two thoughts. I mean, one is that there's nothing wrong with running a deficit. I mean, if it's standard macroeconomic theory doesn't say that you should run a zero deficit. Actually, a couple of percent of GDP a year deficit is fine as long as you're spending it on something that's actually worthwhile. And tax cuts for the people Trump wants to give tax cuts to is not one of those things, right? So, um, so when you were asking uh, the, the sort of laypersons, like, why can't we get the deficit under control? Under control doesn't necessarily mean zero deficit, and it right. certainly doesn't mean zero debt, right? Um, so that, that, that's one thing. I mean, in, in other words, we're, we're talking about being fiscally responsible is not the same thing as, you know, the sort of uh, simple story that politicians tell. The second thing is that I, I've actually looked at the, the, the long-term budget projections a lot over the years, and, and although it's easy to lump Social Security together with, uh, with Medicare and Medicaid, um, actually the whole picture is, is health care expenses, right? If, you, right? if you look at sort of the scenarios under which there's a long-term problem that would really cause you know, something resembling a debt crisis, um, it is driven by out-of-control health care costs, right? Part of it is that Social Security has a built-in mechanism that prevents it from, uh, uh, from outstripping it, it, its long-term financing. But, you know, so even though Social Security is part of the aging uh, demographic issue, it's not part of the long-term deficit issue if there is one. Um, you know, the, so the entire thing, and, the, you know, this is why it's interesting to, to, to think about how they wanted to make the uh, they wanted to make the the ACA go away. Um, that would have made the de the deficit situation worse because the ACA actually re reduced long term deficits. Um, but they're also doing absolutely nothing to address long term increases in healthcare costs. And if there's a long term fiscal problem, that's exactly where it is, and 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 nowhere else. Mark, just picking back up on something Harry was talking about, I, I do think that. One reason I, I have some hope that we might not have as much issue with the, the debt limit this time is, is exactly what he's saying. Is that I think we're going to be seeing a push for tax reform. This tax reform is yeah. not going to be revenue. It might be revenue neutral in, in the first draft, but the final draft is not going to be revenue neutral. Sure. Yeah. And so I think that uh, there there is some chance that, that, that everyone's just going to say, let's just take this off the table. Uh, we don't want to damage our chances of tax reform. You know, p politicians will, will will speak both ways all the time, but in, in the end, it does make it harder to push for your tax reform if you're simultaneous, your your non-budget neutral tax reform when you're also complaining about the debt ceiling. And right. so, I, I can I can see a world. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I can see a world where. Uh, sort of the, the some deal is reached and, and and Congress just says this is not the time we want to deal with this, especially because you know right now as we were talking before we were on air, you know what Trump has to hang his hat on is the economy. Sure. Uh, yep. it, to the extent that he it's, things are things are going well, it's not that it's not that his his administration is putting in all this new legislation. It's that you know the economy seems to be humming along a pretty good clip, and uh, things things that might risk that are sort of risking the one 
real yeah. thing that Trump supporters can, can 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 hold on to and say, you know, this is this is why the Trump administration is doing well. We are joined uh, on the phone uh, by uh, Harry Stein of the Center for American Progress, Neil Buchanan of George Washington University, and in studio with Mark Meredith here at the University of Pennsylvania. Your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I, I guess, Harry, uh, you know, even though we we have this uh, vacation period going on in, in Congress, the race to try and get all of this stuff done is going to be unbelievable TV to watch uh, play out. And, and I guess the question is, is, is can it get done? Uh, I mean, because we're talking about such a short period of time and still so many things that are, that are on the table at this point. So I think it certainly can get done now. The, the the administration and, and, and the majority in Congress ought to be figuring out now how they're going to do this when they come back in September, because they're not going to have a lot of time. The Senate's actually still in session, so they could take care of this still yeah. now. And, and one of the reasons that they lengthen their, that their session to not go into recess now might be to, to deal with the debt limit, at least on, on their side of the Capitol. The thing that makes me nervous on this isn't so much the time crunch, because finally, it doesn't raising the debt limit's a simple thing in, in principle. It's a simple piece of legislation. It shouldn't take that long to do. But that we might have this kind of perfect storm that actually causes a breach. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, I, I would not put even money on this by any means. I think it's, it's likely that Congress will, will deal with this and they'll raise the debt limit. Right. But to me, the perfect storm is that you have on one hand this high-stakes brinksmanship that we've had in, in past years and again this year, where you have some in Congress making these demands for concessions that make even less sense than they did before and that didn't make sense before, and that that makes the political landscape unnavigable or hard to navigate for a debt limit increase. But now you combine that potentially with the, um, frankly, incompetence of the Trump administration. And managing the debt is not a simple thing to do. It requires very clear communication. You know, the, the, the Secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin, has said um, that, that it needs to be raised by September 29th. But all of this stuff is, is unpredictable when tax receipts come in and when payments go out. You can yeah. predict it to some degree, but it's, it's not perfect. And so you combine the unpredictability there with the potential not ideal management of cash flow and debt and communication of that with the political brinksmanship that we're seeing. And, and I think you have a, a really toxic scenario where if, if I was going to imagine what's the bad kind of combination of things that could cause a default, I, I think you have those ingredients. That doesn't mean that we'll have a default. I, I, I don't think that we will. But we've got all the ingredients for one. Neil? Yeah, and I'll just add one more note of pessimism there, um, because the the in the past what's happened is the democrats would all vote for a debt ceiling increase or a suspension and then the republicans would scrounge around for enough people who were retiring or in, in really super safe seats um and didn't have tea parties uh, uh in their ear um and now what you have is Repub- i mean democrats have every incentive to say to republicans okay you deal with it now Right. Right. And yeah. essentially say, you know, we're tired of coming up with the votes for you. So if you take enough Democrats saying, hey, the heck with you guys, um, it's your problem. And enough um, Tea Partiers saying, I took a vow never to raise the debt ceiling. Then you actually have, you know, another way in which you can get to this. And that goes beyond Trumpian incompetence. Right. 
Um, so the the uh, I, the interesting thing is uh, during during these crises, a, a co-author and I, Mike, Michael Dorf, who teaches at uh, Cornell, uh, he and I wrote a series of articles in which we argued um, pretty much without pushback for many other legal scholars that the uh, the debt the, the debt ceiling law is unconstitutional and unenforceable. Um, and the the bizarre thing is, I, you can probably tell that I'm I'm no fan of Trump, but right. um, under the current situation. If it came right down to it, and, and, and it was like the day before the, uh, the, the debt ceiling was, was going to cause a problem, I would be the first person to say to the Trump administration, you know, you've got to ignore one of these laws at this point, right? You're either going to pay your bills or you're, or you're going to borrow money that Congress hasn't authorized. One, one way or the other, you, you know, you, you've got to do something that looks illegal. And the way you, get, you, you, the way you deal with that is figure out if, if, if one of those laws is unconstitutional, that's the one you ignore. Right. And yeah. so I'd be the first one to say to the Trump administration, you know, if you can't get your Tea Party crazies in line, right, and the Democrats won't help, Trump has no, you know, like negative political capital at this point, but he might actually be the one who would be willing to say, you know what, that is a stupid law. Um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and, and uh, um, execute the tax laws and the spending laws as I'm supposed to. Mark? Uh, one other note of pessimism, which is right now, if you're a lot of pessimism on this <laughs> on this call right now, if you're a Republican, uh, you're much more scared of David Bratt from a reelection standpoint than you are of yeah. a Democrat. And David Bratt yeah. was the guy who unseated Cantor in a Republican primary. And we're, we're right at the at peak time where, where our primary elections are just around the corner. General elections are far away. And so I do think that if it were the case that that the Democrats didn't provide any votes here, uh, or, or even a substantial number of votes, we could be in a world that, that that's the world where, where where bad things happen. Great to have you all with us, uh, Mark. Great seeing you again. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, great. Thank you, me. Harry thank you. Neil. Thank you both for joining us on the phone today. Really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Great to have you all. Uh, Neil Buchanan from uh, George Washington University, Harry Stein from the Center for American Progress, and of course in studio with Mark Meredith of the University of Pennsylvania. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.